Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. If you are brand new to our church, we've been in this series, and it's a longer one. It's called This Is Our God, and we're basically going through all 66 books in the Bible, written by over 40 authors. We believe the Bible is perfect. It's this beautiful love story, uh, and God shows us that he literally entered this world, not because anything we did, but because how good he was. And so you have all these books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you go all the way to Revelation. They're not books on principles. They're a book about a person. And so every book just shows the goodness of our God. And so we titled it, This is Our God. And so we've been going through it, um, and we're in the book of Psalms today. Come on now. Uh, who loves the book of Psalms? Uh, you need a psalm for every season, okay? Uh, get rid of your boys to men, okay? That was, that was my stuff back in the day. When I would have a breakup, it would be boys to men, you know? At the end of the road, still I won't let... Sorry, okay. Um, but when I'd break up with a girl, like, I'd point my boys to men, because that was, like, the thing that would, like, soothe me, uh, kind of. Um, but the reason why we love music and we have songs for all types of things is because we, we need a psalm for our soul. Uh, Martin Luther and all the reformists, when they uh, decided to, to re- reform the church and birth the church, the two things they said were the most important thing was this. One was they, that they believed that the Bible needed to be in your native tongue. So if you're a German, they wanted your translation to be in German for uh, the British and English and so on and so forth. But the second thing they said that was just as important is that every church needed a Psalter. It needed hymns. It needed psalms. Because, and you not only need to read the word. You not only need to pray to God, but you need to be able to worship God yeah. on good days and bad days. Psalms is an amazing book. It's the biggest book in all the Bible. It has the longest chapter, the shortest chapter. But the most amazing thing about the book of Psalms is this. Jesus refers back to it more than any other book in the Bible. Jesus. If you know Jesus is your brand new church, he's our Savior. King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega. So when he's walking the earth and he's going through broken things and he's going through hard times, do you know what he quotes? He quotes Psalms because he had Psalms for every moment. And so if Jesus quoted Psalms the most, maybe you should too. If Jesus knew Psalms and the importance of it, maybe you should too. So the title of my message today is Ancient Solutions for Modern Problems. This book's 3,000 years old, and we like to modernize our problems. Just give a heads up, anxiety was back in the day 3,000 years ago. Psalm 27, David has anxiety through the roof. Um, Identity was a problem 3,000 years ago. Psalm 8 talks about identity. Psalm 42, spiritual dryness and dryness in your life and in marriage, that was a problem 3,000 years ago. And so throughout the book of Psalms, it's an amazing uh, book that we're going to look at a handful of them, and I'm going to show you four solutions to some of your modern problems. Does that sound good? Yeah. Will you bow your heads with me? Yeah. God, we love you. Oh, we love you so much, Jesus. I pray right now that uh, the day quill would not inhibit the message. We come against the day quill, the night quill, the cough syrup, the cough drops, the ibuprofen. Just kidding. It's a lot of drugs, man. Uh, but Lord, we do, we ask that your words, oh, that your words would soar and my words would fall to the floor. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your scripture today? Oh, God, we need you, Jesus, we need you. I come against apathy right now, I come against distraction. Lord, would you awaken sleepy Christians this morning? Would you change our mind this morning? Would you change our nature this morning? Would you change our desire of what we crave this morning? Lord, we need you, we need you. And everybody said? Turn your Bibles uh, to Psalm 1. We're going to start in the very beginning. We're going to do all 150 this morning. I love you guys laugh at all my dumb jokes. It's such a bad joke. And you're like, oh, that's hilarious. Um, uh, I got four points. I got four points. Our four points are this. Uh, we're going to look at our broken, wor- uh, our broken world. We're going to uh, look at the solution for our broken world. And there's a practical solution for that. Then we're going to look at our broken past. There's a spiritual solution for that. Third point I'm going to look at is our broken rhythms. There's a painful solution for that. And then fourth and not least, the source of all brokenness, there's an ultimate solution for that. And so the first one is our broken world, our broken world. So let's just um, talk about uh, culture today. Uh, every year, uh, literally every year, uh, they come out with this, you know, Barna and Gallup studies. And every year we're, we're breaking records in all the wrong ways. It's, uh, you know, 2022 came around and it's ending. They're like, well, it looks like 2023 Americans are going to be the saddest they've ever been in the history of America. The least unhappy ever. And then I started Googling. I was like, that happened in 2018 and 19 and 20 and 20. We just keep on. Sh- it's like we're going Richter in the wrong way when it comes to unhappiness. And the reality is, is that America is in a very interesting place now because we're trying to chase happiness 
And the reality is, is that you don't find happiness when you chase happiness. You find happiness when you chase God, and then happiness just takes along. And, and you say, hold on, God's not into happiness. Uh, you better know the Hebrew, you better know the Greek, because the word blessed actually means, oh, the joys, oh, the happiness of those who follow God. And so the, God is in the joy business. He's not in the comfort business. He's not a Santa Claus. But he didn't save us so we would have to endure and be miserable, you know, Jesus jerks. He saved us so we would be joyful human beings that would have full lives and we'd be filled with joy and we'd share this joy with a broken world. And so uh, we know these studies, these stats. I could read a bunch of you, but another one I came across was even NBA players. Adam Silver says they're in like this huge problem right now because NBA players are at an all-time miserable level. The stat was like 78% of NBA players are miserable and depressed. Can I just tell you real quick, money does not make you happier. It just makes you richer. That's all. Money makes you richer, not happier. And so we're like, hold on a second. Like those people have fame and money and they're not happy. What's wrong with them? The reason and the problem is, is that they've missed the practical way of living and it's found in the book of Psalms. Psalms is uh, one is broken up two things, declining and delighting. I want to show you the declining real quick. It says, blessed is the one that he wrote is, oh, the joys of the one, oh, the happiness of the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked. What does it mean to walk in the step of the wicked? It means you're declining the advice from the world. The world, hey, I got an idea for your life. Hey, you should date this way. Hey, you should um, marry this way. Hey, you should chase your career this way. Hey, you should deal with wounding this way. Just do it this way. It says, oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked. It says, oh, the joys. Hey, world, your advice, I'm going to say no thank you. Dr. Phil, I'm good, okay? Um, whatever thing you watch or read, self-help book, I'm sorry, I'm good. Oh, the joys of those who decline the advice from the world or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So there's a declining in advice, there's a declining of company, and there's a declining of actions right there. Oh, the joy of those who don't take the advice from the world. The, the, the joy of those who de- de- decline the company of this world. Do you know that bad character corrupts good company? Do you know that you're around people that gossip, you're going to maybe just start gossiping a little bit? If you're around people who are always negative about things, you're going to start getting negative. But if you're around people that have hope and are believing for greater days and are believing that God's not done with the Bay Area, it's actually going to change the way you process and see the world. Did you know that? Yeah. Oh, the joys of those who are around joyful people. Yeah. Oh, but man, the ones that are around people that aren't joyful and it's always talking about bad stuff, how's your spirit when you leave their house? And then it even says right there, oh, the ones that decline in their actions. The company of mockers. Mocking is at all-time high in America. They did this study. I thought this was fascinating. Uh, like when George W. Bush was president, yeah, they did this study of like how much he was made fun of in the news and through SNL. And it was like 600 and something times throughout the year in mainstream media that George W. Bush made fun of. And then, you know, of course, we had Barack Obama. And then it went to like 1,000. Uh, and then, it, you know, we had um, Donald Trump. And then it went to like a billion. Um, and then, just being honest, like literally, like they have this graph, and it's just like, I mean, joke city, mock city, mock, mock, mock. Uh, and I mean, even now with Biden, you know, mock, mock, mock. And we deal with our problems now by mocking and memeing instead of actually praying and seeking. And so the broken world just says, well, let's just gonna mock it till the next one. Just make a meme so I can laugh at it so I don't, it can keep me from crying. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when Jesus was on the cross, do you know what the, the, the demonic spirit was doing? Mocking Jesus on the cross. Mocking is not of God. Mocking is not going to get you through hard times. And I love a good meme, to be honest. I love a good joke. I love it. But the ones that decline for that to be their action, to get through hard times, oh, the joy for those who don't mock, but actually seek. And so we see a declining here. And it even says this, there's an old Danish proverb, um, Listen to everyone's advice on how to build your house. You'll build a crooked house. So it's saying, if you listen to everybody and everybody's advice, what does that look like for you? Go right, go left, go up, go down. You know, I am, I am what I have. I am my feelings. I am what I acquire. Like, like what do I listen to this season of life? And so, so this world, it, it will show you all these things and you're going to build basically a Frankenstein instead of a beautiful home. And so that's, that's where we find the practical solution is, first of all, stop listening to the world. Stop acting like the world. And definitely stop hanging out with the world. So that's the first way we find happiness in the world. This is just a practical solution. I'm just starting. I got a really good message for you. If you don't like this one, the other ones are really good. My fourth point's the best. So you can't leave. First three are good. Fourth one's really good. Okay? Now, so declining. Now, delighting, he says this. But, uh, so let's go to the delighting part. This is where it gets good. 
so it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but, those, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree uh, planted by streams of water which yields fruit in every season. I mean, just talks about this like beautiful, prosperous, fruitful tree. And when I was a young believer, I just never understood this. I didn't meet a lot of Christians like, I just delight in the law of the Lord. Open up my Bible, I'm just delighting in it. Mm-mm-mm. Leviticus, mm-mm-mm. Numbers, mm-mm-mm. You know, like, like I just, like, my, my, my grandma was probably the closest one that I thought really delighted in the, in the Bible where she would just like, I'm like, man, my grandma, really, like, her Bible, you know, her Bible is so messed up. You ever heard that? Like, if your Bible's messed up, you probably aren't. But if your Bible's not messed up, that means you are. You know, like, if your Bible's falling apart, you aren't. But if your Bible's not, you are. He's like, oh, no, thank you. Um, so, but my grandma's Bible was like falling to pieces because this woman delighted in her word. And so I always thought like that what it meant was just to read my Bible all the time and for my Bible to be ripped to shreds. And I was like, if I could do that, then blessed are those whose Bibles are messed up, you know? And then you really start to look at Psalms and you read all 150. And I've been in Psalms for a while right now. I've just been reading it even before this. I've just been in the Psalms. And Psalm 19, I love this one. It's I think Psalm 19.7. It says that, uh, your instructions are perfect, God, reviving the soul. I, I think actually, I, I might have in here. I want to read more of it to you. It's just, it's so good. Yeah, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, worthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Now, why would that bring joy to somebody? Why does somebody delight in the law of the Lord? Let's, let me use a simple illustration. Um, when uh, we went to Homes of Hope before COVID, and we're going back, shout out to, who's going to Homes of Hope? Come on now. Yeah. yeah. Let's go build some homes, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand you stuff to build. I'm the supporter, okay? I'm going to be the water boy. You know what I'm saying? Anybody thirsty? Um, so I'll be there. I think we have like three more spots. If you want to sign up, you can, but that's not what I'm talking about this. Um, so uh, we do have a Homes of Hope coming up uh, um, this month, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, but when we went to Homes of Hope, um, I am a terrible builder by nature. I've never built a house uh, Rachel's told you this, I didn't own a hammer until um, Valentina got us one uh, in our marriage. She didn't have any tools. Um, I thought, at least, you know, this is not my gifting. I'm not a stay. I'm a, I know my grace zone, okay? And that tools are in my grace zone. So we go on this uh, build of Homes of Hope, and they assign each team. There's about 20 people to each team. They assign them a head leader that helps you build a house, that knows how to build a house. Our head leader, his name was Martine. And Martin was just like, he had like a jovial spirit. He's very energetic. And, and I mean, 20 people the whole time are just asking questions on how to build a house. Like this, all you hear, this is the soundtrack of the build. Martin, Martin, um, what, what do I do with the, 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 the framing? What, how do I hit this? And he's like, okay, two nails here, two nails here. That nail, not this nail. Okay, do that and all the way down. Okay, thank you, Martin. And then, then I'll come up. Martin, Martin, we're, we're doing the windows. What am I supposed to do with the windows? Okay, you gotta take this uh, little cloak and you gotta go around the, the square. And then, you, okay, okay, thank you. And then uh, Martin, Martin, the, 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 the shingles. Martin, Martin, the, the drywall. Martin, Martin, what about uh, uh, this part of the wood? Martin, Martin, what, what do I do? Screws or nails? Martin, Martin, Martin. For two and a half days straight, all I heard from everybody on the build, Martin, Martin, Martin. To literally be like, Martin, 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 Martin. I was like, it was like, it started to become like a soundtrack in my head. I'd be going to sleep. Martin, 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 you know? It was, it was all I heard. We built this beautiful, perfect house. Now, get to your life. Can I just tell you real quick? I showed up this house build. I knew I'd never build a house. I wasn't arrogant saying, I'll build it. Martin, take a seat. I got this. Just let me do my thing. I'm going to build this house the way I think I should build it. And when it comes to your life, oh, the joy of those who realize they've never built a great life. They've never built a great marriage. They've never built great joy or great peace. Oh, the joy of those who delight in the law of the Lord and say, Jesus, Jesus, I just got married. How do I do this? Jesus, Jesus, I just became a parent. How do I do this? Jesus, Jesus, I'm going through this season. How do I do this? Jesus, 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 Jesus. The delight is found in this. You finally found the one whose instructions are perfect for your life. And the life that you want and your soul desires, you finally found the one that says, can you imagine finding the one that can literally give you the best advice for every situation so you will not fail? And when you do fall, you'll get back up and you'll be stronger than ever. That is what it says. Oh, the delight of the one that knows they found the one that has all the answers. Oh, the delight in the one that says, Jesus, I was walking blind in this world and you opened my eyes and now I see what my life can be and should be. And with you with me, it can be all those things. 
the delight for those. I want, you to show, I want to show you this psalm. It's amazing. It starts with the word blessed, but it ends with the word destruction. I want to read it to you real quick, and we'll go on the next one. It says this. It says, so it says the ones that, you know, that don't listen. Uh, the person is like a tree planted in the streams of water for every season. What do they do? Prosters. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in assemblies of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So the blessed leads to life and joy and happiness, but those who don't follow God leads to destruction. And so the way that I picture my week, the way I picture my days as I was studying this, is what plane am I getting on today? The plane that has no wrecks or the plane that says destruction? You think it would be very easy every day for you to get on the plane that says, man, life abundance, promises. What plane are you riding in right now? What road are you on right now? Are you finding the advice of the world? Bottom line, the reason why some of you, why your life is struggling, the word destruction literally translated in Hebrew means death, not no life. It means to perish. The reason why you're not encountering a lot of maybe abundance life in your marriage or in your life or your career or your joy is because you've been on the wrong plane this past season. It's very practical what it says in someone. If you listen to God, you're going to have a great life. If you don't listen to God, have fun perishing. It's a very ruthless thing. It's very practical. Someone, we, if you, I don't want to get past this real quick. A lot of you who aren't reading your Bible and praying and faithfully living for Jesus, the reason why your life sucks is because of you. In discussion, you're the problem. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would start to delight in the law of the Lord. And that you would listen to God and you would obey God for just one season of your life. Give him 40 days. I'm not even asking for a whole year. Give him 40 days and see what happens to your soul and your mind and your relationships. Instead of acting like the world, living like the world, and talking like the world, you start living like Jesus, talking like Jesus, and being like Jesus. Watch what happens. There's something said about that. Okay, I feel like I yelled at you. If if I did, it's the day quill. Dayquil gets me angry. I'm kidding. Let's keep going. So that's the practical solution. It's, it's so practical. It's crazy to me how many of us don't actually listen to God. Just practically listen to God this week. Read your Bible and obey it. In discussion. Second one is our broken past. This is the spiritual solution. Um, I think everybody in this room, if we had five minutes for each person, and we had you share your story, not your story like at coffee, like, hey, how you doing? Good. Your real story. Like the story when you were birthed in this world and all the valleys you've been through. I think all of us would just be so, we probably would hug everybody every time we see them. We'd probably be so gentle with everybody. And the reality is, is that all of us have a broken past that needs to be healed. Um, and I used to hear this all the time. You know, just give it some time. Time does not heal wounds. Jesus heals wounds. Time helps you compartmentalize. But Jesus actually heals wounds. And I'm going to show you in Psalms where it literally says that he has came to uh, heal your wounds, to bind the brokenhearted. All these, I mean, you read all the Psalms. One of the greatest purposes of Jesus' life in your life is to heal you, to heal your broken heart. And so I'm going to share my broken past, and I'm going to share where I'm at now in my life. So you can understand that God can restore and redeem. I'm sure a lot of my brokenness today, because we're talking about you know, uh, ancient you know, solutions for modern problems. So don't judge me at the end like, man, that guy has a lot of junk, okay? Um, but I got a lot of Jesus now too, so in your face. Okay, anyways, here we go. Um, so um, you're born in this world, and I, I so wish that we could just have this smooth, beautiful life and have no, no wounds, but um, all of us are born into different types of scenarios and families. So I was born into a family. Nobody was a believer. My dad was, uh, you know, abandoned by his parents, raised by his grandpa for a season of life. His grandpa was very abusive, beat him up, throw knives at him. Uh, my grandma finally went and picked him up about 15. Uh, he was, you know, born in England, uh, raised in England. My, parents, my grandparents were British. Moved to the States when she uh, married an American soldier. My dad came over to this, um, uh, the States when he was about 15, lived in Chicago, and then moved to Washington. And so my dad was just a really broken person. So that person who doesn't know the Lord becomes my dad. And when you have that kind of person who doesn't know the Lord and them raising you, they don't know how to raise you with the love of God or the peace of God. So, so our house was a very abusive home. 
So when you're a little kid walking around and you're just, and to be honest, I've always been kind of like a golden retriever kind of person, like, da, 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 you know, what are we going to do today, you know? Um, loud, like, that's just the way I, the Lord knitted me. And so uh, I would, you know, be in the house and um, my dad would, you know, I'd leave the mayonnaise out. I'm like five years old, just forgot to put the mayonnaise away. And my dad would call me in the kitchen and he would just cuss me out. You son of a, you da da da, beep, beep, beep. How dare you disrespect me and the family? And so imagine being a five-year-old and a grown man cussing you out and berating you. It's going to do something in your soul. I remember the first time where I started feeling weird in my house and scared in my house and did something to my heart. It, it ripped something away from me. So I kept on raising in that house. And I remember uh, being 10 years old. And, you know, we were, of course, really poor. And uh, we grew up on food stamps. And uh, we had, like, top ramen for, like, the 12th night in a row. And my dad made top ramen, and I complained about it. I'm 10. You know, I should be thankful there was something on the table, but I was 10. I complained that we were having top ramen. My dad was angry, and he yelled at me. He goes, you're never thankful for anything. He slams the cupboard, breaks his finger because he kept it in the cupboard, um, and then blames me for breaking his finger, cusses me out. And I remember that moment more than the other moment as a kid just scarring me, saying, I don't even know if I can ever talk to my dad again. Uh, and, um, you know, run to my room, crying, 10 years old, don't go to bed, eating anything for dinner. Kind of happy because I hated top ramen at the moment. So that was, that was a big cut. And then uh, I'm 14 years old, no, 16 years old, and I want to uh, get a car. I've been working at McDonald's. Shout out to all my McD fans. And uh, I, raised, I saved some money, and my parents said they would help out if I saved, you know, a few thousand dollars from my McDonald's job. And we're driving to go look at an older car, and my dad uh, is driving there, and he looks at me. He goes, you're not a good enough son. You don't deserve a car. I'm turning around. And I remember being in the car, and just I started weeping. I went into my room. I was the hardest I've ever cried as a teenager. My dad walked in and goes, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't like my dad. I was like, I was like, what do you want from me? I was like, I was like, I'm doing everything I can to, you know, uh, save up and, you know, da da. And I remember that moment at 16, saying, No longer is that my dad. I'm gonna raise myself. I wasn't really a believer at the time. Of course, I found in scripture that God's the father of the fatherless, and I remember telling the Lord He's gonna be my father. And so I leave my house, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty broken. So imagine a kid like that going to school every day. Uh, and then, you know, having friends and trying to just be healthy and whole for everybody. This is my, my story. And all of us have stories. And some of your stories are way worse than mine, of course. And so, you know, you, you try to find wholeness and the solution in people. Sports became my safe haven. I'm, you know, I tasted, you know, um, some wins and hoops. And uh, so, I, you know, sports were a big part of my identity that made me feel better about myself. I found a girlfriend that, I, you know, I dated all throughout high school. Um, and that became like my two safe places until the high school sweetheart you date for years actually cheats on you. And then you go, man, like, is there anybody I can trust? And so I remember high school just being torn up and being like, I can't trust anybody. I can't trust my dad. I can't trust a girl I date. Don't matter. Um, and then uh, I get saved and I go to church, the safest place on the planet. <laughs> if you're brand new to church, they're laughing because people suck everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Broken people are out there, and broken people are in here. So I go to church, and I start working at church, and I become a pastor, and um, I just desired to have like this like great pastor and be a father of the faith. And I remember, you know, being in LA and the youth pastor, and the uh, the executive pastor um, um, was my overseer, and the senior pastor asked me a question like, "Hey, how's it going?" I was like, "Good, you know, just looking for a house, and you know, it's been a little bit harder than I thought, you know." Um, just, oh yeah, what's what's the hard about? I was like, you know, just I mean, it's Burbank, so you're trying to find a, an apartment close to the place, but you know, it's the right price, and and the senior pastor was generous. He's like, "Well, let's let's give you a little bump if you need more money to get into an apartment. Let's get you more money," and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, thank you. Like, you know, I'm like early twenties. It's so sweet of him. And the executive pastor thought I went over his head and went to the senior pastor and complained. And so I'm walking out of the office, going to my car, and he grabs me by the arm, throws me against the wall, lifts me up. I'm a big guy. He's a big guy. And he goes, how dare you go over my head? Don't you ever talk to him ever again. You talk to me, you know? And I remember, like, I wish I could tell you that. I was like, yo, man. I was like, I'm sorry. You know, like, like, just like somebody who's your overseer, you think that would protect you, literally physically assaults me and screams at me. And I remember going in the car and, you know, just being torn up. I'm like, man, like, is there any place to actually live and not be wounded by people? And uh, I remember going home and praying to the Lord, Lord, would you have that man get fired? Would you fire that man? He got fired. <laughs> Not a part of my message, just God answers prayers, okay? So let's keep going. Let's keep going. So um, uh, he was doing that to all the staff members, got out, so he got fired. Uh, and then the next person who was my overseer was just as bad, you know? I remember being sick, and he's like, you come in, and you puke, and then I'll send you home. 
these are pastors, by the way. I'm like, what is going on? And so in my 20s, I just started almost losing faith in the church and pastors. And I remember just going like, man, like, how do I get this <laughs> back to this? And the reality is, is time will not get this back to this. And I remember being in my mid-20s, 20s and my 30s, and just deciding, Lord, I can't fix what's broken in me. And when this stuff gets broken, you see the world in a tear. Again, like, our, eye, our hearts do have eyes, and they, they get shaped by this world. That's why you can be in this room and see something different than somebody else and experience something different. And so I remember just going on this journey with the Lord, and Psalms became one of my safe places, and it had all these verses about God saying, I want to fix all the things people broke. And I want to do spiritual surgery in your life. And I want to read you some verses to encourage you to maybe for the first time in your life to allow God to heal your heart. Can I tell you something real quick? My heart is healthy and whole. I love, I love my dad. Talked to my dad on the way to church today. I love him. And I can tell you that I didn't love him for a long time in my life, but God healed my heart towards my dad. My dad still to this day, I remember forgiving him. He's like, for what? Never mind. Um, <laughs> it's cool. Um, <coughs> Forgiveness is a one-player game. Reconciliation, two-player game. It's probably too painful for him to even process it, so we're, we're good. Um, I almost gave up on the church at one time in my life. I believe in the church more than ever. I believe in what the church is and what it can be and what she should be to a region and to people. I believe with all her flaws, she's still the greatest vehicle in all the world to change the world, to bring change to people. I love the, my heart. Is, I, love, I love the church. I love the people of the church. I love the weird ones, the good ones, the nice ones, the mean ones. I love them all. And it not happened because I decided to. It was because I got in God's word and I let him heal my broken heart and heal my broken past so my past would no longer predict my future, but his spirit and his promises would actually predict my future. So let me, let me just read you some verses. Here's a couple of verses. Uh, Psalm 103, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise uh, his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. I love that word, benefits. You know, I've, I've, I've preached on uh, this little thought, but uh, may I forgotten all your benefits. Uh, if you are a full-time employee at Mission Church, you get medical and dental. It's a nice little perk. Hallelujah. Come on now. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a great gift, you know. And uh, if somebody didn't know they had that benefit, they would avoid the doctor because they think the bill would be really high. And a lot of people don't know they have the benefit of God not only being their savior, but also their doctor. Wow. He is a great healer. Yeah. And it's amazing to me, there's, there's the stats that when somebody is prescribed medication, 20 to 30% of the people just end up not taking it. And then half the people don't even take the prescription the way it was, entitled, uh, it was instructed to take. We're bad at taking the prescription for our broken bodies physically. So, oh my gosh, how are we doing spiritually with that, right? And so... There's this verse in Proverbs that says, for, uh, for your words, there are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. That Hebrew word health means medicine to their flesh. It's medicine to their soul. And so I'd love to tell you that you're going to go home today and you're going to read Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. And right when you read it, you're going to go, ah, I'm better. Like just completely whole. I'd love to tell you that's what happened to me. But it was like me taking medication. It was like me going to the Word, and every day I would just get a dose of healing. And it, every day as I allowed it to be medicine to my soul, and I would read Psalms, and I would read the Word of God, I would let it do things to my heart that no other thing could do to my heart. And the more and more I was in the Word of God, and if you could look at the Word of God this way, some of you are looking at it just for like some genie lamp direction, but if you looked at it as medicine to your soul, what could it do to your soul? So I started reading it, and reading it, and reading it. And I remember one day just how my soul was so toxic, how I saw church and my dad and people, and I just got healthier and better. And some of you, if you could just go on the journey and not forget the benefits and start taking scripture the way you're supposed to take it, it is life. It is light to your path. It is a daily thing that you should be putting into your soul and watching it bring health to your soul because the world's only going to make you toxic. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. So Psalm 147, Psalm 107 is another one. He sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. When you are toxic, you are walking to death of destruction and destroying things. But when you hear God's word, it will have you bust at 180 and it will change your life. Getting your word. So that's the, that's the spiritual solution. Um, now, I've got two more. I told you fourth one's going to be really good. So first two, they've been solid. Okay? Third one's going to be good. Um, third one's this, um, our broken rhythms. Our broken rhythms. And this is the painful solution. This is the painful solution. So your life, you've had all these rhythms 
And not all of them are heavenly rhythms and godly rhythms. The way that, and what I call rhythm is like when somebody does something, the way you respond. That's a rhythm, like hurt you, I hurt you back. You talk about me, I talk even worse about you. That would be a rhythm in life, you know what I'm saying? Somebody hurts you, you shut down. Somebody hurts you, you shut down. Like this would be a rhythm in your life, okay? Like, and these are bad rhythms, but you, you, so my rhythms in life was when somebody hurt me, boom, they hurt me, you dead to me, I move on. You hurt me, you dead to me, I move on. You hurt me, you dead to me, I move on. And so I had a close circle of people I trusted and then everybody else was just everybody else. That is not a healthy rhythm in my life. Another uh, rhythm I have in my life is I help you, I help you, I help you, I help you. Oh, you don't appreciate it? I'm resentful, I'm resentful. I go help somebody else, I help you, I help you. You don't appreciate it, I'm resentful, I'm resentful, I'm resentful. Um, I help you, I love you, I serve you. Oh, no thank you, you give me no thanks, okay. I resent you, I resent you. This is my rhythm in life. These are my bad rhythms. And when I started to look at all my bad relationships and all the things I suffered, I realized there was one common denominator, and it was me. (laughs) It was me. Not the people, it was me. And it's painful. It's painful to actually look at yourself and say, what rhythms in my life do I need to change? I was out to coffee with a new friend this week, and he said something so wise. He says, what you don't repair, you will repeat. What you don't repair in your life, you're going to repeat it. So if you don't repair those rhythms, you're going to repeat those rhythms. And I was like, can I add that? I'm putting my message. Thank you very much. And so uh, I started looking at my life, and I'm just going to be honest. Like, I'm a point keeper. Like, Rachel, I've been married 10 years. <laughs> this is one of my broken rhythms that I, God deals with to, the, to this day still. Now, when people hurt me, they're no longer dead to me. I, I took care of that one. So you're all alive to me. Okay, you're good. Um, am I dead to Tyler? Uh, no, you're good. Um, but um, one of my rhythms that I have found in my, my life, that I, I've, I've seen in a rhythm in my life, is that I will, I, and I'm a helper by nature. Like, I like, I like um, helping people and making them, like, it's, I look for the win, and like, if I help somebody, they're pleased with me. Okay, I did something good. So like, Rachel was going to LA last week. So you know, I checked her in on her Southwest Airlines. I printed out her boarding pass. I, you know, I gave it to her. I said, hey, here's your trip. I booked her car for her. You know, she's going down there for her cousin. You know, she's flying back. She goes, uh, what's the code to get my bar? I like, already, already checked you in. Shot you an email. You're good to go. You'll be at the airport. This is things I like to do. I make coffee for Rachel every morning. Oh, no, no worries. You know, uh, it's, it's easy. Like, I just you know, go down. I walk downstairs. I get the coffee. I give it to her, you know. Um, I find joy in helping Rachel. Um, I find joy in helping people in church. But then once in a great while, I'd be keeping score. And I'd be like, I've helped Rachel like 15 times. No thank yous and no helping me back. What's wrong with our marriage? I'd be so mad. I'd be so resentful towards Rachel. Like, I can't. All I do is give and give and give. Serve and love. And like the beginning, the first time, first time I, I, this started happening, Rachel would be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? You know, five years in, Rachel's like, oh my gosh, here you go again. And you're like, <laughs> and then that would tick me off even more. I'm serious, I'm upset. You know, she's like, oh, okay. What did you do this time that I didn't say thank you for, you know? And, and so this is a rhythm in our marriage for years. This is my brokenness, okay? I shared mine. You can share yours with somebody today, okay? But this is mine. And so I finally recognized it in my life that I would get spun up in all the wrong ways. And all of us, can I be honest, y'all get spun up in all the wrong ways a lot. And your rhythm of getting spun up, you may respond differently and what spins you up may be differently, but we all get spun up. And Psalm 27 is a gift to unspin all of us. It's a gift to undo all of our grossness and all of our ways that we see things and the way we spun something, the way we've twisted something, the way we see things. And, and so David is in this season, and he's talking about the worst things that would spin him up. They haven't even happened. But he's saying, if these things do, I won't be spun up. He talks about, if I'm surrounded by armies, if I have the worst day, I'm not going to get spun up. If my family rejects me, they never did. His parents said, he goes, but if my family literally walks away completely, and says they hate me, I will, I, I will still be okay. Why? He says all these worst case scenarios that would spin him up. He knows his things that spin him up. He says them all. And he goes, here's why I'm never going to get spun up again. And he says this right here in Psalm 27. It's a gift to all of us. He goes, one thing I ask from the Lord, the only thing I, I only, the, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me in uh, his safe dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set, uh, set me uh, high upon a rock. Stop. 
There's three things he says he does to unspin himself in Psalm 27. Psalm 27 deals with anxiety, deals with us being spun up, deals with us being stressed out, all those things. If you read the whole chapter, it's a beautiful chapter. But there's three things he says that unspins us. Dwelling, gazing, and seeking. And what I found out about my life when I got spun up is I'd have to ask myself this question, because now I don't go to Rachel and freak out. Oh my gosh, I did this for you, and you don't love me back the way I think you should. You know, I don't do that anymore, okay? That was weird. Um, here's what I do do. When I start to get spun up with, even when I'm serving at church, and maybe I feel whatever, and I get spun up about something, I ask myself, where have I been dwelling? What have I been gazing on? And where am I seeking wisdom? Because the word seek in Hebrew actually means to go seek counsel. So like, you're not just seeking God just to seek him to see him. You're actually seeking him to ask him advice on how to handle something. That's what that Hebrew word seek means. And so now when I get spun up in church or get spun up about the Bay Area or spun up about something I saw in the news, I, instead of dwelling in what the news says, I go and dwell with the Lord. I dwell in his presence. I gaze on his beauty. Can I share, can I share something with you real quick? I have great concern for the church in the Bay Area, but I have great hope also. My hope is greater. And this is where like, I, I get spun up sometimes. Can I, can I share my spun up a little bit? The, the church in the Bay Area the, and Christians in the Bay Area, my greatest concern is this, that they love the world too much, that they are fine the way things are in a sense. Well, change those things, but don't really change me and change the way I live my life or change my priorities. I kind of like the alert world. I crave the world. I like the world. It's all good. And so I have this concern. And so I get spun up sometimes and I go, God, are you going to change the Bay Area? Because I'll see other places. I was watching a church service this morning when I was getting ready in Tennessee, and they were exploding at the rim. They were making jokes about, you know, they had to build a new entrance and a new balcony at their church because all the Californians that moved to Tennessee. And I was like, I turned the church service off in two seconds. Like, I was driving the airport, so much traffic with all you Californians. Hey, don't worry, the north entrance is going to uh, be open pretty soon because um, all you Californians that moved here, and they're like, ha, 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 yeah, California sucks. We're awesome. I'm like, slam my laptop. Uh, I was trying to watch a church service just to, you know, feed a little bit myself and just enjoy in the morning. Did the opposite of my soul. I got spun up. I was ticked. I was like, Lord, are you done with the Bay Area? They're laughing at us. They're laughing at 10 million people that are your sons and daughters. They're laughing at a place that needs your spirit and your revival desperately. Are you done with the Bay Area? And with my great concern came great hope because Hebrews 6 and 1 Peter 1 says he is our living hope and he is the anchor. And this great hope shows me that the concern is great, but God is greater than that concern and he's going to revive the Bay Area. And so when I start to gaze on his beauty, the one that resurrected the dead, the one that transformed the Roman Empire can transform the Bay Area. I get unspun and I start believing all the good things about what God's going to do to the Bay Area. And then I start to seek counsel. Lord, what am I supposed to do today? Lord, how am I supposed to navigate now that you've unspun me? What, what, what is my aim today? And that's when life gets really good is when you get a, 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 a marching order from God. My mission in this Bay Area is to show people that God is good. They just don't know God's good. They don't know that he is there to redeem and restore all the broken past things of their life. Oh, God is holy. God is sovereign. But he even says that kindness brings people to repentance. It's what, it, what's, it what brings them to the banquet. And then when they come to the banquet, they don't stop sinning because they, they're going to get in trouble. They stop sinning because they realize sin sucks and God is good. I want, I want, to, I want to finish with my last point, which I think is my best point. Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Is, so we have the practical solution. We have the spiritual solution. And we have the painful solution. The painful solution is you have to go and actually seek the Lord, gaze and dwell, and allow him to change what's broken in you your bad bent so you can actually be aligned correctly and go live the life life. So that was, that was the painful solution. The last one that I want to talk about is simply this. Is I want to talk about the source of all brokenness, the ultimate solution. So Psalm 51 is one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible. It's when David uh, prays, you know, because he had somebody killed. And oh, yeah, I need to share the story a little bit. I never want to assume people know it. So David is uh, just this great guy. A man after God's own heart. What I love about the Bible, more than the other religion, you look at the Norse religion, the Greeks, they don't share dirty laundry about all their like heroes. You read the Bible, Moses was jacked up. <laughs> Joseph was jacked up. David was like, the Bible just over and over again, like, like you know, like when you get to heaven and you hear me, David, David's like, so you read the whole thing? Like everything? 
You know about the Bathsheba thing? And, and Uriah, the guy had, had him killed? Yeah, yeah. How you doing? I'm David. You know, like, like, like the Bible just tells on all the heroes. Because here's one of the great themes of the Bible. That we are great sinners in need of a great Savior. That we are not kind of broken. We are terribly broken. And we need a great restore. We don't need a paint job. We need a whole new ride. Okay? And so David's story, it's this fascinating story. And I want you to understand that the, why the story... It, if you've heard it before, I think it's going to have a new, new freshness for you this morning. So David is king. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. So just if you're somebody who struggles with stuff, just know that the one that God said had, had a heart after him that was so impressive still struggled with lust and murder, okay? So, so, so great Christians can still struggle with big things. So, 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 so just breathe for a second. So this David, this king, he was uh, looking over his, uh, his, um, his balcony and he sees this young gal, Bathsheba, and he, he, sees what he sees her and he likes what he sees and so he sends for her. And basically, he sees her, he wants her, he takes her, they sleep together. She doesn't even really have an option on this. This is not okay. Everything about this is so not okay. And if it was just that, it would be terrible. But then, she sends word, I am pregnant. So David, you think he might be like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've ruined a family. You think at that moment he'd repent, oh Lord, what was I doing? She was a married woman, I knew it. No, she was a married woman, she was married to Uriah, and I know Uriah, Uriah is one of my mighty men. Uriah was one of the mighty men that helped me fight for this kingdom. I knew, I, I fought with Uriah, and I still did it. And now, what am I gonna do? You think that he would weep over it. Doesn't weep, he just goes, okay, okay. Um, bring Uriah back, bring Uriah back. And so he brings Uriah back, he's Uriah. Uh, have a couple days, you know, go home, be with your wife. And, you know, he's insinuating, you know, go, go be with your wife. And Uriah's like, all my, all my fellow soldiers are battling. I can't go have the comfort of home right now. I will sleep outside. I want my soldiers to know that I'm with them even when I'm not with them. And so David's like, okay, I got to get him drunk. So he gets him drunk, goes sleep with their wife. He's like, still won't sleep with his wife. So David, you think like, at that moment, okay, dang it, I tried. I need to tell Uriah my mistake. I got to fix it. But there's no mourning. There's no softness. There's no um, upset about his decision. He goes, okay, okay, see you later, Uriah. He writes a note to his leader, Joab, his his main uh, general, he says, I want you to put Uriah on the front lines so he can die on the front lines. David orchestrates a murder for Uriah. He has Mariah at the front, uh, Uriah at the front lines. Uriah dies on the front lines. Message comes, David, Uriah is dead. At this moment, you might think, oh, David, like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I, I forced myself on a woman, and then I tried to destroy the family, and then I killed the man. At that moment, you think, he'd be like, what have I done with my, what am I doing with my life? Nothing. Here's what he responds. This is literally what he says in scripture at this moment. He says, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press on. He is spiritually dull to sin. He feels no remorse over sin. He, he, is, he is stale to it. He doesn't see it. He doesn't feel it. He is just walking around with this brokenness that he didn't know he had in his soul. And he is destroying lives and killing lives and literally has no idea and living his day like it's just a normal day. And then Nathan, the prophet, which Jesus is a greater Nathan, Nathan comes and opens his eyes. We know the story if you've been in church at all. He says, David, I got to tell you a story about a man who had a ton of sheep and this man only had one sheep and, and the man who had a lot of sheep took the one sheep and slaughtered the sheep for himself and da da da. And David's like, this is not okay. I want this man dead. And Nathan's like, you're that man. And David's like, can we get some grace? <laughs> Double order of grace now, please. And for the first time, David's eyes are open to the, the ultimate problem. The source of all problems and it's the sin that lies within his soul and the reality is the biggest problem in your life is not politics or the systems is the spirit at war in your soul sin doles you to the things that destroy you sin doles you to the things that destroy people sin doles you to make you think you want something else than you you actually do let me give you a picture real quick david goes and has this prayer and it's a powerful prayer i want you to hear it he goes on to say, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Can I tell you something real quick? This is why religious confession does not work. David does not pray for a second chance. Oh, I messed up. Can I have a second chance? Because if David gets a second chance, he'll do it again. If he gets a third chance, he'll do it again. Or give me a fourth chance, he'll do it again. David goes, I've seen the problem. It's not me having 10 chances. It's me having the wrong spirit. I'm dull to sin and I'm dull to death. Could you open my eyes? Could you give me a new spirit? Could you give me a new nature that when I do sin, it breaks my heart? 
that when I hurt people, that it would break my heart. Christian, hear this. You don't need another chance. You need a new nature. You need a new palate. You need a new tasting, uh, a new tasting palate. And here's what I mean by that. I am sick right now. I have a cold. Yesterday I got some, uh, um, some soup from Kevin's Noodle's house. And the first thing I say to Rachel is like, oh, I can barely taste this. I was like bummed. I was like, I want to taste the soup at least. I hate being sick. I'm a terrible sick person, by the way. You know, Rachel's like, oh, you're thick. Are you okay? Are you thick? You know, Rachel's great at taking care of me. So, so, so I'm tasting, I can barely taste it because the sickness that I have has dulled my taste to enjoy what I want to enjoy. And when sin entered the world, it dulled your taste to actually what you're supposed to enjoy tasting. And so you're eating things that you never would eat because you don't have the taste buds of heaven yet. You are eating the pig feet of the world like the prodigal son. Some of you sleepy Christians, this has gone dull. Sin has lost its power, but has not lost its dullness in your life. And this is what sanctification does. It removes the dullness of sin and re-sanctifies you so your palate changes to only enjoy heaven and not the world. And so the ultimate solution is the prayer, God, would you change my palate? Would you change my nature? Not give me another chance, but would you change the way I live my... Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Oh, happy are those who mourn over sin, is what it's saying, for they shall be comforted by God. They shall be given a new palate. Can I give you one more scripture? I'm going to do it anyways. In Isaiah. Isaiah is this prophet, and he thinks he's a great Christian at this moment. The reason why he thinks he's a great Christian is because compared to everybody else in his area, he's great. Compared to everybody else in this area, you're great. You go to church on Sunday, you're in the one percentile, basically. Four percent of the Bay Area goes to church. Oh, you're amazing. Give yourself one of these. Oh yeah, amazing. And then Isaiah gets around the one that shows him what sin has been doing to his own life. And Isaiah feels dipped. He's like, I'm way more broken than I ever thought, way more sinful. My mouth is way more sinful. I thought I was a prophet for your word, but I say things I shouldn't say. I talk ways I shouldn't talk. Oh my goodness, I'm dipped. And Isaiah says, what am I going to do? And the Lord being so kind has a seraphim come. And it's interesting, his palate has been doled by, uh, by that culture. And so God literally renews his palate and the cold touches his mouth and renews his mouth to taste new things and to speak new things. And this morning, we prayed that you would have a new palate for your life when you leave here. That the Holy Spirit would touch your mind and your heart and even your mouth and your whole being. And you would leave here saying, God, I want to speak differently. God, I want to I feel differently. I want to hurt for the things that hurt you. I want to love the things that you love. I want to be upset about the things you're upset about. I don't want to respond like a Democrat or Republican. I don't want to respond like a Bay Area person. I want to respond like Jesus would respond in the Bay Area. I love our name. I love the name Mission Church thing about changing it to missionary church because you guys are missionaries in the bay area the 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 reality is the bay area they have people being missionaries sent to the bay area because we're the least church region all there of all the u.s thank you for staying thank you for believing that the bay area can be renewed and restored and revived but it will not be restored and revived if all of us have the same palate as the world may god change your palate this week can i get an amen i'm gonna I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this thought. I don't want to read Psalm 51 one more time because we got to celebrate Jesus because all the Bible just celebrates and points to Jesus. This is why we love this series. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity, it says. Create me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's fascinating. Psalm 51 says, turn your face from me, represents, don't look at me anymore, walk away. But then right after that, he says, Stay with me. Keep your faith. Your, your pre- presence in the Bible always represented God's face towards you or away from you. That's what presence was. Being with somebody is when you had a face-to-face. Not a side-to-side, not like, yo, they're over there. Presence in the, in the Old Testament meant we are face-to-face and we are having a real conversation. So David says, I don't want your presence, but can I have your presence? Turn your face from me, but turn your face to me. David had no idea the cost of that prayer. Jesus is on the cross, quoting Psalms, by the way. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why are you forsaken me? It's a messianic promise, Psalm 22. And the reason why he's quoting Psalms is because God is turning his face from all of sin because he who knew no sin became sin. And so God turned his face from all sin. Your sin, my sin, David's sin. That prayer was answered on the cross. So the face is turned from sin so he could turn back to David and see David perfect. 
His face was turned from sin, Jesus. Jesus tasted no presence of heaven. He tasted all death, all despair, all sin, so we could actually have God's face turned back towards us and see us perfect, healthy, whole, blameless, and sinless. That prayer was answered for David and for you and I. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, Jesus wants to save your life. And he's not trying to save your life so he can get all that stuff off you. He wants to make you brand new today. Do not take for granted what Jesus did on the cross. Oh, live a life differently because will you bow your heads? I want to pray for anybody who wants to say yes to Jesus today, yes to heaven, no to hell. I'm so thankful that we have a Savior that turned his face towards us because he allowed the Father to turn his face from him, which is, I believe, the ultimate pain that anybody could feel. So if you're brand new in the house, you've never said yes to Jesus, you never said yes to heaven, no to hell, you want to say yes to a new life, a new nature, a new heart. You don't want a second chance in life. You want a new life. You want a new palate. You want new desires. The desires actually would fulfill your heart. If that's you today, you've never said yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, you want to say yes to Jesus on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three, raise it up and raise it high. Go ahead and raise it, I want to see it. I see you, that's a great decision. I see you, that's a great decision. God bless you. I've got a second question. If you're a believer in the house and you're like, man, my palate, the enemy's deceived me. I have a little bit of sin in my life that's crazy sickness and dulled my taste buds. Would you pray that my palate would be reawakened to the things of heaven and I would desire heaven? If that's you and you want that prayer today, I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand up and raise it high? Hands all over the room. God bless you. Come on. God's changing hearts today and he's changing palates today. He's changing minds today. God, I pray right now for Mission Church. God, we are not going to crave the world. We're going to crave the kingdom. God, we're going to desire your kingdom like the deer pants for water. Lord, may our souls, when we wake up, desire the things of your kingdom. May your kingdom come and your will be done. And everybody said? Will you stand up? We got to pray real quick. We got people saved in the house today. Come on, we're going to pray with them. Will you repeat after me? Jesus, come into my life today. I declare you are my Savior. You are my Lord and you are my healer. I say goodbye to my past and I say hello to my future. I confess I am broken but because of you now I'm saved. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.